Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. Just one more sleep until the World Cup final. How old are you? I'm a baby when it comes to the World Cup final. How old do you think we are? One more sleep? A little bit older than me, a lot older than me. (laughs) Stevie Nicol, Kate Marie. We will be hearing from Julien Laurent in just a moment. But this is the cover of L'Equipe in France. It is Messi against Mbappe. And when we focus on France, everyone trained for them today after a number of players had been struck by illness. So we want to talk to Julien Laurent about this. He is with us now from Qatar. Is that it then, Jules? Are all the players feeling well again and they're ready to go? <laughs> well, they all trained today, that's for sure. They were all there training behind closed doors, uh, not too far away from here where we are, actually. They all trained. Deschamps was happy. Maybe we slightly blown out of proportion earlier, but we know that Konati was really not well still this morning, to be fair. Um, but, but at least everybody was there, they're happy. Chouamini is okay now after the, the problem he had in his hip. Theo Hernandez is okay after the, the little niggle in his knee. Giroud also had a little niggle in his knee, but he trained without problem. So Deschamps is happy because at least the 24 players who were there are available to play that final. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about Giroud because it is Stevie's love-hate player. A little knock to the knee in training. Is he going to be okay? He's going to be okay, Kate. The only thing is, at training tonight, I'm being told that Deschamps tried a different attack than to, to what he's done through the whole tournament when Giroud was actually playing with the Serbs. You know, at at time they, they do the, the starters against the Serbs when he's the last training behind before the game. And, and the front three for, for the starters for the team were Mbappe Central, then Billy on the right-hand side, and then Marcus Thuram, who, who came on and did really well against Morocco in the semi-final. He was the one starting on the left. So Giroud was with the Serbs, so on the bench. Mbappé had moved from the left-hand side to the, to the centre. And you still have two very quick wingers in Thuram and, and Dembélé. The rest was the same. Rabiot, Chouameni and Griezmann, of course, in midfield. The back four would be Koundé, Théo, Varane and Upamecano. Unless Konaté can sneak in and, 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 and start ahead of Upamecano, but I think he's very unlikely right now. So the only change, really, if that happens, and I'm still quite sceptical, that he will drop Giroud, but that Giroud could be on the bench and Marcus Thuram starting. Oh, do you love mm. or hate that Giroud could be on the bench, Stevie? <laughs> well, if I'm Giroud, I'm, I'm not a happy camper. Because I'm going to guess that this has got something to do with the fact that Mr Mbappe doesn't want to defend. That, that's kind of my thinking, because why would you change it? Something that's been so successful, all of a sudden, yes, I know it's a final, but you're going to change it? And are you changing it because one guy doesn't want to defend? Really? <laughs> OK, so I want to go to Jules on this, because it's something we've been talking about this week, Mbappe not wanting to defend. Let's clarify this situation, Jules. If it's something he actively does not want to do, we're taking a look here at the fewest interventions in the defending 30s. Top of the list ahead of Depay, Ronaldo, Lionel Messi. Uh, this is an outfield players per 90 oh. minutes. Ah, shout out to Akram Afif. Yeah, shout out of <laughs> Qatar. Yeah. But- what? I know, sorry for not putting his name out there with the rest of them there. But Jules, is this something that's just down to Mbappe or is it actually to do with Deschamps' tactics? No, it's part of the plan. They, they discussed it before. I mean, it's pretty obvious just to watch the game, whether you watch on television or in the stadium like us. If you keep your eyes on Kylian when he loses the ball or when the team doesn't have the ball, I mean, sometimes he will jog towards towards his side and the, the player that he's supposed to mark, for example. But very often, he, he, he doesn't. And I think Deschamps has sort of incorporated that, integrated that into the way the team plays without, without the ball out of possession and, and that one way they press. And maybe that's why they don't press too high because, because Kylian would not do the pressing. This is, this is part of it. We've seen other players or the big players not doing it either. I can understand why Craig was... Raging the other night, I know Stevie is not happy either, and I completely get it, but I guess Deschamps also had to accommodate his, his best player in a way. 
Is it the fact, though, that if he isn't defending, he is actually still keeping the opposition defenders busy and therefore keeping them pretty much out of the game anyway? Yeah, but you can still do that and get in a passing lane. So you can still be an option and an outlet for a quick counterattack by being in the correct passing lane. And, and I think now, there is no change in it now, by the way, because if you've allowed this to happen up until this point, you don't then address it now. You, this should have been addressed a long, long time ago. It wasn't. He was given this freedom. But if I were to address it, I would tell him, I'm not asking you to track back all the way into our 18-yard box. What I'm asking you to do is get in a defensive position where you, at the very least, are denying a pass or denying a space into wide areas. That's all I'm asking you to do. And in order for him to do that as compared to what he does now, I'm talking about a difference in a 10-yard sprint. That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do, Killian. I'm not asking you to go track back. I'm not asking you to go chase people down in a defensive third. I'm just asking you that your starting defensive position is one that allows us to be organized, that allows us to then set up behind the ball correctly, and I think more importantly, allows us to stay balanced. Because the moment that you decide that you're not going to make this effort to 10, 15 yards to cover a passing lane, everybody else has to address that space. Everybody else has to do a little bit extra in order to make sure that everything is covered. So now you're changing the way that the team plays, and now you're affecting the guy on the other side, which in this case is Usmane Dembele, who has spent a lot of the time in this World Cup in his defensive half because he has to cover ground as well. The bit that Here's the bit that annoys me. It's not the fact that he doesn't defend. Because there are lots of players, forwards, who don't want to defend. And we all know, and we've all played with guys who you know don't want to defend. But because they're so good, you do the extra bit of work because they make you successful. But the one thing that that 99.999 players don't do is turn around and tell you I'm not defending. <laughs> that is, that is, it's just, it's, it goes against every single principle about a professional footballer. Every single thing. And to turn around and say that he's not going to do it is, is where I have the real problem. <clears throat> and the fact that maybe, maybe because of this guy who may win you the World Cup, but he may lose it for you as well, because if you're arranging your team to suit this guy, you might slip up. And I hope they do. Oh. <laughs> I hope they do. I was, I was teetering, well, who did I really want to win? Well, I did want Messi to win, but I like watching France as well. That's taking me over the ridge. I hope Messi wins this. I hope Argentina wins this. Because it, what Mbappe's doing goes against every single thing a professional footballer should do. Very anti-French sentiment from Stevie. I'm telling you, I absolutely am. Uh, let me stick with you, Stevie, because I want to talk to you about Argentina, said to have been experimenting with a back five in training. Do you take too much from this? Because they're said to have experimented with a few different formations. Will they be going with that necessarily if that's what we're seeing from them in the training session ahead of the final? I, I don't think so. I think sometimes you use that as a bit of a ruse, you know, because they'll know that everybody's watching. You know, Jules was saying tonight that, that the French had him, had Mbappé up in the middle. <clears throat> He's maybe doing that so, that so that Argentina play a three in this final, thinking they're going to do that. I think Argentina should go with what, is, what suits them best, and that is a back four. Uh, and if it's a back four and Mbappé plays in the middle, then guess what? You just have to do what you would normally do anyway. You've got to double up on the guy. But it's not going to completely change the way Argentina play. So I think Argentina shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be thinking too much about the French or overthinking it. Do what suits you best. Because if you do what you do best, to the best of your ability, whether Mbappe plays wider in the middle, you still win the game. Jules, it seems as though there's been a lot of talk about this after journalists have been watching the training sessions going around in Qatar. Do you think they would play a back five tomorrow? Argentina, yeah, I think they're, they're thinking about it. We've said before that Scaloni is the, is the head coach in this World Cup that has changed the most. His teams, his formation, back five, back four. We saw in the semi-final, obviously, the four central midfielders playing in that 4-4-2 formation. Which you, which you do when you adapt to the opposition, which is completely fine. And maybe they think right now the best way to stop Kylian is to play with a back five, to have 
Romero and Lisandro Martinez on each side of Otamendi to help to close all the half spaces so Rabio can't make the runs that he wants so Griezmann cannot make the usual runs that he makes as well or that he's made so far in this tournament coming from deep in that new position and I, and I, I have to say I think the back five could be clever here but Stevie is right he might also just go with a 4-4-2 like we saw in the semi-final he might keep the same midfield as well to just control a bit the midfield and, and have an extra man there against Chouameni, Rabiot and and Griezmann, and that would make sense as well. I think they, both of them have, have a lot of options, but what we've seen is that Deschamps really, unless he changes Mbappé for, for Giroud and, and Thuram, but the formation will stay the same, the, pretty much everything will stay the same. Scaloni, however, has changed already a few things, and you, you, you would not be surprised if he does it again for the final. Would you be surprised, Ale? No, because you're trying to address Kylian Mbappé, and you're trying to address the fact that while defensively he's not helping France, he is putting himself in a position where he's trying to go on a counter and exploit his ability to run in behind. And so you're trying to create a natural double team on the right-hand side with Nahuel Molina and then Cuti Romero covering that space. So that then, if indeed that's a space that France is going to attack, you've already addressed it with the presence of two defenders out there, the central defender that goes out there, and then the trailing outside back who's going to be in a position to defend as well. That's what you're trying to do. The issue is that for Argentina, in order to do that, you're sacrificing the control in the midfield that Jules was just talking about. And what was so very good about Argentina against Croatia is the control, or was the control, through that midfield, where you had McAllison and Enzo Fernandez. And in, in the case of the, uh, of the semifinals, Leandro Paredes was there as well. When you think about Rodrigo de Paul and McAllister, Paredes, Enzo Fernandez, and those guys controlling the midfield... I think that's where Argentina could be most dangerous against France in winning that battle in the midfield that then limits the impact that Antoine Griezmann has on this game. And then, therefore, the impact that Kylian Mbappé may have because maybe the outlet pass is not quite available because you're not dominating the midfield. I would go with a, with the a midfield four because I think that's where Argentina's at their best. And whenever they do win the ball, if indeed they make this a physical game and then they win the ball, it's through that midfield four that they're able to keep possession of the ball. If you have only three there, I'm not quite sure that Argentina has proven to be good enough to have that 3v3 and actually keep possession for a long period of time. Now, it feels as though it wouldn't be the eve of a big game if we didn't ask Jules for a combined 11. So mm. we have asked him to do this. I wonder how many players <laughs> are from Argentina and how many players are from France, oh. Jules. And a lovely picture again. <laughs> oh, oh, as always, yeah. I, I've tried Sandy. to be really objective here. Uh, I went for Lloris in gold because at 36 and with all the criticism that he received, I thought it was outstanding in the semi-final and the quarter-final. I've got Molina right back because I think he's really, he's, when he's played and that goal against the Dutch, of course, was really good, whether he was as a wing-back or as a right-back. I was very impressed with Varane con considering he was still injured three weeks ago. Otamendi, I thought as well, at his age, played really well and I, I, I didn't think he would be at this level. And on the left, despite the silly foul against uh, England on, on Mason Mann, I still think that Teo Hernandez has had a good World Cup. The midfield three, Enzo has been a revelation if you hadn't seen him play for Benfica earlier this season. And so has been Alexis, uh, the Brighton midfielder, Alexis McAllister, who is so important to this Argentina team with all the, all the movement that he does without the ball even. And then Griezmann in that new position that we mentioned many times. And then the front three, you can play them wherever you want. Julian, Kylian and Messi. It could be Mbappé as a nine, Alvarez as a nine, Mbappé left, Messi right, Messi as a ten behind the two, whatever you want to do. I think those three, it's a bit unfair on Giroud maybe, but I think those three have been magnificent. Any complaints with his combined well, it's, eleven? It's some friendly fire against Olivier Giroud, conversation about maybe him not starting the final, and now the fact that he doesn't get involved or included <laughs> in the combined eleven. If you're breaking records like Olivier Giroud is doing for France, Maybe he deserves a place. I'm saying Olivier Giroud should be a starter not only tomorrow, but certainly in the combined 11 from Julian Laurent. Stevie? I would probably just swap one. Um, I, would, I would play Rabiot, probably instead of Fernandez. And I've not been a big fan of Rabiot, but I think he's been tremendous. I know he missed the semi-final, but I think he's been fantastic. Um, and maybe he's got over the hump. Because up until this World Cup, he's not a player that really was very much on my radar. But I would, I would play him in the middle instead of either McAllister or Fernandez. Probably 
Fernandez. And since I put Giroud in and took Julian Alvarez out, I'm taking Hugo Lloris out and putting Emiliano Martinez in. I think I trust him more than I do Hugo Lloris. In fact, if I were friends, <clears throat> my concern would be that I know Hugo Lloris has a mistake in him at some point. And it hasn't happened just yet. Uh, tomorrow would be the wrong time. Might Emmy Martinez have a booking in him now? Yeah, to be fair to Jules, though, he can only go on what they've produced. And I agree 100%, Uriz has got a mistake in him. I also think Otamendi's got a mistake in him as well. Mm. But so far, neither of the two of them have made any mistakes. So, Jules, I can't, we can't fault you on the, on, <laughs> because they haven't made mistakes. Well, we're going to take a look at the odds for this one. We're calling it even Stevens right now. Now, Jules picked against France in the past because he didn't want to jinx uh, exactly. his team. Remember that. Off. Now he is picking France oh, oh. to win the final. Oh, so what are you telling us, Jules, that you actually want Argentina to win this? No, no, no. I, I mean, I really felt that England were the better team and that they, they were going to beat us. I promise you it was not mind games. I've been, we've got all our Argentinian friends here from ESPN Argentina, the studios. I've been telling them, all of them, the last two days that we're going to go and crash their party on Sunday and we're going to break their hearts and win this. So I really hope that my boys do it then. Yeah, well, we know that you two both picked Argentina Absolutely. ahead of tomorrow. Well, we've just heard him tonight. He hates France now, so he's, <laughs> yeah. he's definitely going for Argentina. Come on, Argentina. <laughs> he, was, he was teetering. I was. He was teetering, but now he's oh, gone. Oh, he's gone. I've gone completely off the cliff. <laughs> Come on, Argentina. two-footed into that one. Make sure you join us bright and early tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2. We will have a full preview of the World Cup final, Argentina taking on France. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. ESPN FC on ESPN Plus is presented by the all-new Honda CRV Hybrid. And Gareth Southgate is set to remain in his role hey, hey. as England manager. He was left to think oh, about his future after the World Cup exit. <laughs> decided to stay put, though. He intends to remain until at least his contract expires after Euro 2024. As we look at his record in major tournaments, Mark Ogden joining us now. And Mark... Jules is still with us. Uh, Mark, you didn't hold back on Twitter last week when the statement was put out by the England FA on how proud they were of the boys and of Gareth Southgate. You were pretty critical of what they had to say. What do you think of him staying on? I was critical. I just felt that the English FA were just too happy to accept the quarter-final finish and they were pitching it as, you know, the boys did OK. Let's give them all a pat on the back. They've had a really good tournament. We're all happy to be here. And I just think it's just, just a... There's a softness there. There's no ruthlessness at the English FA. And I think, you know, Gareth Southgate has done a great job as England manager. Let's not get away from that. He inherited a mess. He's taken them to a semi-final, a final and a quarter-final. But on each occasion, England have stopped going that next step because the, the manager, Southgate, has been unable to make the tactical or spot the tactical changes early enough to make a difference. Now, this has got England have got a really good batch of players, some really good young players. But I fear that they'll go to the Euro 2024 with the same thing happening again. You keep repeating the same mistakes, the same things will happen. Now, obviously the FA don't want to replace Southgate because they don't want to go through a process of having to find a replacement. There isn't an obvious one out there. They've, they've kind of restricted themselves to an English manager. They want an English manager. So who is there? Well, Graham Potter's at Chelsea, Eddie Howe at Newcastle. Beyond that, where do you go? Do you, do you go down the route of Lampard or Gerrard again? I mean, this is the problem. There's no ideal candidate. But with Gareth Southgate it basically is the least worst option. And that is not a way to win a major tournament when you go with the least worst option. Jules, what was your reaction to the news that he's going to stay on? I'm delighted. Well done, England. Well done, English <laughs> FA. Brilliant. Uh, 
At least I know they're not going to win the next Euros. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I think, I think he has to win the next Euros. I think you can give him a, a, a number of passes if you want. So a pass on this World Cup because they were really good against France. And it had thin margin, everything. Okay, no problem. A pass on the Euros final, although that was at Wembley and they were 1-0 up. Maybe a pass on four years ago. Okay, but now there's no passes anymore. The Euros, with this squad, with the talent that he has in this squad, with, with the progress that we've seen on the pitch in this competition, they have to go and win it. And Mark is right. For them to go and win it, Southgate will have to improve because we are not going to go back again on the France game, but he also messed things up massively in his substitutions and what he did on the pitch when England were on top. And, and I just think he's been good enough, but if they want to keep him, then, then good for them. Is it even worth asking you, Stevie? No. <laughs> <laughs> As a Scotsman, I'm delighted. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean... Do you think the Brazilian team, when they got home, were getting patted on the back? I don't think so, will they? I don't know. I don't think so. If Argentina don't win this World Cup, do you think the team's going to get patted on the back? I don't think so. But England get knocked out in the quarter-final, and it's uh, jolly good, boys. Well done, round of applause. What, what do you want them to say? What do you want the FA to say? You want the FA to say, you know what, he's done a great job, but we need to... with with. With what we've got and where we've been, we need to start winning a tournament. If, you, if you're happy to win semi, get, get semis and, and quarterfinals, then guess what's going to happen? That's going to be your ceiling. You need, some, you, need some, you need somebody who's got a bit of ruthlessness about them that says, hold on a second, quarterfinals near use. Why are we happy to be in the quarterfinal? That's no good. What's me? I want a medal. I want a winner's medal. Who's going to remember that England get knocked out in the quarterfinals? Nobody. But isn't that part of the reason, Ali, why he would want to stay on them? Because he does want to take them one step further. And he is getting closer. Obviously not in this World Cup, but it was fine margins. I, I, I will say that I don't know how I come to be the defender of Gareth Southgate, <laughs> but I will defend Gareth Southgate. I, we're talking about Harry Kane missing a penalty, Right. These are the margins that we're talking about. Your best player, your best attacker, missing a penalty. I would also say that following the game against France, I had a much better feeling about England than I did following the finals in the Euros. That I thought this was a team that wasn't afraid, that wasn't conservative, that attacked France, that created problems for France. And so if I'm... If I'm projecting into the future, I'm thinking, you know what? This team is trending in the correct direction. The result may not have gone their way. Harry Kane misses a penalty. That changes the narrative. That changes the story. Now, in terms of what the FA could have done, is perhaps they take a little bit more time and just really evaluate what their plans are for now and into the future before they go and ratify Gareth Southgate and say, yeah, you know, we want to keep Gareth Southgate around up until 2024, and we want to make sure that, that he is the guy leading us. They may have been able to take a little bit longer just to, to really allow all of this to settle down and for them to really process the information. But in regards to what we have seen from England, I think they're better now than what they were in the Euros and better than what they were in the last World Cup. Does, is that reflected in the results? Well, not. Is this a results-oriented business? Yes. And I understand where these guys are coming from. But if I were making these decisions, Gareth Southgate, go on, son. Well, the players well, like him, on, don't they, Mark? Go on. We've got an Englishman sat here. Right. So are you happy? I am happy. So you're happy. Southgate's yeah. going to carry on and take, yeah, get I, the boy, I, take the boys <laughs> to the Euros and do so well, but unluckily get knocked out. And unlucky Gareth, but you've done a fantastic job. And by the way... He's really good with the media, and he's got a lovely. Right. He's got a lovely group of boys. They're all lovely boys. They're really nice, and everybody toes the line. It's fantastic. It's but great. Super. They like him as well, don't they, Mark? Oh, hold on, I'm going to an answer they, yet. They do, but that that, that should be Mark. a criteria for him to stay. So I'm just saying that the players, the, the players might like him, but that doesn't give them the criteria to stay, does it? If you're playing exactly. like a manager and they're not, not to change, it's almost like well. The, the, they hated Fabio Capello because he was tough with them and you know Capello didn't have a great record with England but he's, he's a guy with a great CV I think that what this England squad needs is somebody to challenge them a little bit and to, and to make them think and you know I think there are one or two players in that squad that can do better I think 
I think Harry Kane's got a fantastic goals record, but you look at what his performances in recent, year, recent months, he's not getting away from defenders, he's dropping deeper. He's, he's not giving them a focal point that Olivier Giroud gives to France. So the coach will come in and say, you stay where you should stay, centre-forward, stop dropping back to the number 10 role. We want you on that in the end of crossing the six-yard box or putting the ball in the back of the net from the six-yard box, not spraying passes from the centre circle. Southgate hasn't told him that. Southgate played him against Wales when he needed a rest because he went... This is a, a stronger manager would make bigger decisions. And he would he would find a way to play Phil Foden in a more attacking role. He'd get James Madison to start. He'd make he'd try make more of Grealish. Southgate is very conservative, which is he's great for the FA because they're very conservative. Nobody rocked the boat. Let's keep it all nice and safe. Like Stevie says, everyone has a great time, and you know, oh well, we got to the quarterfinals. Never mind. We'll do better next time. They need somebody with the edge to take them that next step. And if that means upsetting some of the players who want Southgate to stay, then so be it. Because you have to have a winning mentality to win a World Cup or a European Championship, and they haven't got that. You just want me to say what you what you no, think. No, I, I want to know what you think. <laughs> I'd like to see him stay on. I think we've oh, seen great. progress. <laughs> Good news for the first time in a long time, and I've been in England for a long time. You know what? I said this last week on the show, and and I, I have not changed my mind one single bit. Oh, I'm surprised. Right? <laughs> as good as you think Southgate has done, and he, all the players are coming in after. Kenny Dalglish, Alec Ferguson, I could name two or three others, right? You know what you would get? What do you mean? Nil-nil at half... You come out at half-time, it's nil-nil. Do you know what they would say? It's not good enough. Well, you want a pat in the back because you played really well, but we've been unlucky. No, no. Next time, this is what we do, this is what you do, this is what you do, and you, you put it in the back of the net. And I don't want you, Harry Kane, if I see you coming back into the middle of the park again, I'm taking you off. That's what, that's what a real manager would do. A guy who's not interested in keeping everybody happy. Everybody's lovely and Harry's a great captain. Super Harry, we got on really well. Don't want to upset Harry because he's captain. That's what, a, that's what a guy with an edge that, that, that Augie's talking about would do. He'd say, Harry, you go back in there again, you're off. And that's all great, but who? <laughs> One step at a time. <laughs> Right, we'll, we'll, leave, <laughs> we'll leave this conversation here. While Jules is still happy as well, because we don't know oh, if he will be boy. tomorrow, but he's definitely happy with this decision. Uh, we're going to let him go for the evening. Jules, thanks so much for being with us. The guys will be back, no doubt, giving me stick on extra time. Make sure to catch it every single day over on our YouTube channel. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. The Carabao Cup returns to the calendar next week. Uh, Manchester United will be taking on Burnley. Uh, Mark Ogden is still with us. We want to talk about this game because we know that we're seeing a very strong Burnley right now in the championship. They are leading the table right there. So, Mark, will Eric Ten Hag put out a strong Manchester United team for this game? He will put out a strong team, I think. Apart from the French players and the Argentinian players that are in the World Cup final, you'll see... United's strongest team because, first of all, a lot of the players are already back. They've been back for 10 days, 14 days, and United need to win a trophy. And, you know, we're having this discussion a while ago about Southgate and how he's not strong enough. Eric Ten Hag is strong enough and he wants to win. He's a, he's a, he's a guy that will upset people to win. So if some of the players that have played in the World Cup don't want to play against Burnley next week, Ten Hag will be saying, well, this is your bread and butter. We pay your wages. We need to win a trophy. So you're playing. So there'll be no. No prospect of this being a, a second string. It's a massive game for Man United because they haven't won a trophy since 2017 and every opportunity they get, they have to take it. 
It's interesting as well when we take a look at Jaden Sancho. We're just splitting the season up here before October and after October, and there's been a marked drop-off after October for the player. Eric Ten Hag was actually asked about his availability now that Manchester United will be back in action, and he said, we want to bring Sancho back as quickly as possible, but I can't give a prognosis on when that will be. I have had several talks with Jaden. It's a combination of physical but also mentally. When you don't show it week by week, you can fall out of the squad, which is what happened. Mark, do you know anything more about this situation and what's going on here? Well, I mean, I think Ten Hag's been fairly, fairly clear there that Sancho is struggling. It's physical and it's mental as well. And it's not just a case of looking for form on the pitch. I think he's he's finding it difficult in, in all aspects of his life. And he has spent the last few weeks in Holland training with coaches that Ten Hag's familiar with. So he's not been with the United squad. They're trying everything they can to almost pressed the reset button with Jadon Sancho. He's a guy that cost over £70 million, a guy that was in the England squad at, at the Euros and he's you know, a really big prospect, but he's struggling and he's, you know, I think he needs to, like I said, press the reset button on and off the pitch, Jadon Sancho, and, it, and I don't expect we'll see him this side of Christmas because I think he needs to, you know, really get, his, get himself back together, you know, physically and mentally, and, that, and that's not an easy task. And we've seen with, with a lot of players in recent years, it, it, when it gets too much, they have to be given the right treatment and the right, you know, space. And I think United have done that with Sancho, but obviously still an asset to the club. And I think they're desperate to get him back on the pitch. But I don't think there's a timescale on this one. Uh, one thing we have seen in this World Cup is some brilliant performances from Cody Gakpo. Well, the PSV manager, Ruud van Nistelrooy, who knows Manchester United very well, has said, if I have the choice, I prefer the summer. This is with regards to his departure and possibly being in January. He said, but it also could be now. You just know there comes a time when you can't say no. Is that time January, Mark? It could be, but what I'm led to believe is that Man United aren't going to spend any big money in January, and there's a few reasons for that. The prime reason is that the Glazers want to sell the club, so they're not going to be putting the hands in the pocket to spend any more money. So that it'll be a case of looking for loan moves. We, we, we've spoken about, you know, Christian Pulisic is a player that they might take on loan if he can do a deal. Gakpo will probably cost in excess of fifty to sixty million pounds now after his World Cup performances, and that that is a big, big leap for Man United in a window where. They're not planning to spend. They spent a lot of money in the summer window, more than they expected to spend then. So I think United are going to have to be strategic, but they do have to replace Ronaldo, who, who went for nothing. He's freed up a lot of money in the wage bill, but I still think that a big fee for Gakpo, I just think January is not the time for United to do it. I think they're going to wait till the summer. There's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes at Manchester United. Avram Glazer was stopped by the Athletic after the France-Morocco game and asked about his sell in the club. He said it's not necessarily a sale, it's a process, oh. and we're going forward with the process. So we'll see what happens. What does this mean, Mark? <laughs> uh, I think he was just caught on the back foot there. It's definitely a sale. And I think in an ideal world, they'd look to sell a little bit off. They'd look to sell a percentage off. But the, the stakes are so high at, the, at Man United. They've got, to, they've got to raise over maybe a quarter of a billion pounds to update Old Trafford, if not rebuild it. They've got to pay off the debt on the, on the players. They owe about £300 million on, in unpaid transfer fees, which is an accumulation of fees. that It's not it's not to pay it all at once, but it's still going to pay it back. The debt is now over £500 million. So all of a sudden, they've got a billion pound of, of debt or, or outgoings that they need to cover and they can't do it. So the only way that they can do it is to get out and they're going to have to get out by selling the club and let somebody come in who's got the money to do it. But, you know, Man United have got a lot of problems off the pitch financially with, with the ground. That, that re The ground is now a mess. You know, Stephen Nicol left the UK, what, 20 odd years ago and it's not been touched in that time. So Steve would go to Old Trafford now and he won't notice any difference. They need to spend some money on it to upgrade it to make it like the stadiums in the rest of the country. So the Glazers just run out of road. They've run out of road, they've run out of money. It's a sale, and the sooner they get it sold, the better for everybody. Now, before we do let you go, Mark, you wanted to talk about Marcus Rashford and his contract status. What have you got to tell us? Yeah, well, the, the situation with Rashford, all of a sudden, have, he's, he's had a good World Cup, Rashford. You know, he, he could come back as United's star player with Ronaldo going, but I think people have forgotten that his contract expires this summer, and United will trigger the, the option of, a, of an extra 12 months, but that means he's got 18 months in his contract, and there's no contract agreed yet. Now, Marcus Rashford is arguing when United one of his biggest assets now, and we're still waiting to see what happens. Now, for me, I get to the summer, and if he wants to sign a contract, I'd sell Marcus Rashford. I don't think he's done enough at United to prove he is somebody that he can rely upon to score 20 goals a season. He's had good moments, he's had bad moments, but if Man United are rebuilding, if Marcus Rashford wants to be a part of it, he's going to have to commit to it fairly soon because I think he's a player that could sell next summer for money. And I don't think, 
I think the fan base would be quite split, actually. I think some would be happy to let him go. Some would want him to stay. But I don't think Rashford is consistent enough to for United to say, we'll pay you what you want, come and sign this contract, Marcus. So there's a big there's a big issue to be addressed over Marcus Rashford for the next six months, whether he wants to stay, whether United is prepared to pay him what he wants, or whether Ten Hag is prepared to say, look, you know, you're not for me, I'll let you move on. Has he done enough, Stevie, to stay on and to convince them to... Oh, yeah, I've I, I got to agree with Augie. Because you'll still get good money for him. I mean, seven years, maybe eight. But yet, is he really a starter? I mean, you couldn't turn around now and say, Marcus Rashford has to start for Man United. You couldn't do that. So if you can get a good amount of money for him, then you do it and you move on. But he has been better this season, Alec, and he's even addressed some of the situation himself. He said that maybe he was concentrating on some other things off the pitch. Listen, now listen he's focused fully on his there. football. Listen to what you just said. Right. Well, he has been better. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Does that, does that, does that mean you, does he have a new contract, Ali? And here's the thing. I don't want to be a cynic because why? We have enough people in the world who are cynics. <laughs> but I will ask the question. Players that are coming towards the end of, the, of a contract, and this is not just a reality in professional football. It's a reality in professional sports. Players who are coming to the end of the contract have a way of improving their performance <laughs> as that contract is running out, knowing full well that there is a payday at the end of it. And I don't think that this is the motivation for Marcus Rashford. I don't think this is why he has been better. But you can't just rely upon what you have seen over the last couple of months and make a decision in the long term and ignore what has happened over the last few years. So you focus on the last couple of months. You say, you know what? This guy could be the guy for us. But if you see before then and what has been his history with Manchester United, you kind of go, no. I don't think he's the guy for us in the future. I think if, Man- if Manchester United is thinking about a, what would be a, a change, a radical change, and he has begun with obviously Cristiano Ronaldo walking out the door, Marcus Rashford would probably be the next one to go. Not because he, he's a cloud like Cristiano Ronaldo and hovers over the club, but just because I think it's time to look for somebody else to try to be the answer that he hasn't been. Well, you can keep up to date with all the latest transfer talk on our website. We thank Mark Ogden for being with us. We'll be hearing him soon, and you can no doubt see some stories from him over on our website to transfer talk on ESPN.com. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. ESPN FC on ESPN Plus is presented by the all-new Honda CRV Hybrid and Croatia finished third in the World Cup after a 2-1 win over Morocco in the third fourth place game. Josko Vardiol scoring a brilliant header in the seventh minute. Two minutes later, Dari headed in from close range. That leveled things out but then Mislav Orsic restored the lead just before half time. That means that Croatia are third, Morocco are fourth but they did make history as the best finishing African side in the history of of the competition, but it is Gladiol. I would like to talk about, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Before we do, let's give some credit to Morocco and hear from their fans. What a World Cup for Morocco. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. Um, first African team to make it to the semi-final, and I think that's a great first leap. What uh, Morocco achieved to, tonight is, is the history. We create a history from, for Arab and for Africa. Nia, we call it Nia in Arabic, you know. It's like you just believe, okay, you have to believe in life. So when you believe and you work, you can reach your, uh, your goals. And they showed us this. In 2026, we can say the last word, Morocco don't lose, Morocco yeah. learns. They will come back stronger in 2026. We are very proud of them, even if we didn't win, actually, but we won the heart of the world. We've, we've spent so many nights thinking, is this real or we are just dreaming, actually? <laughs> hey, oh, 
مبروك علينا هذه البدايه مازال مازال A big congrats to Morocco. Shaka Hislop prized himself out of bed to get to this game, oh. <laughs> but apparently he didn't stay awake throughout the game, according to Julian Laurent, what? What? who's been telling tales on you, Shaka Hislop. What? No, he was looking at his notes. Just looking at Always. his notes. You, you cannot trust, you cannot trust <laughs> Julian with these tall tales, Kay. You know that. What was it like to be there, Shaka? <laughs> it was peaceful. <laughs> it, it, it was it was fantastic. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, it, it really was. It, it really was fantastic. It, it was a, a different atmosphere to this one, particularly for the Moroccan fans. It, again, they outnumber the Croatian fans as, as you'd expect, nine to one. There, thereabouts, and, and I'm and I'm being kind. But as as you saw towards the end of their their semi-final loss to France, this was more about an appreciation of the tournament in whole that, than an expectation of the of the team to win. And and, and in a way, the team kind of the, the team kind of played exactly to that. I, I I cannot think of a team that started any game at any start stage of this tournament worse than Morocco in, in the opening exchanges. Boronelli scored in his own goal. And, and that kind of painted the picture of maybe the first 10 or 15 minutes. No real surprise for Croatia to go ahead. Very well with goal, Vardiol scoring. And then Morocco equalized. And in all honesty, I, I, I don't think Levakovic touched the ball before, before Morocco equalized. And, and that kind of spoke to, to the imbalance in this. Then, then you, you also scored, as, as you mentioned, Kay, just before the halftime break. I, again, I, I, I very well will go. Croatia were the better of the two teams. And then the second half petered out a little bit, as sometimes third, fourth place games go. There was a little bit of tension, but I, I thought that was more around the referee's handling of the game that forced things to, to kind of boil over. But in all honesty, it, it was a celebration of Morocco's run in this tournament and so many of the old guard for Croatia coming to the end of, of their own times. I'm, I was surprised to see the likes of Luka Modric play, like to see him start, let alone play the full 90 minutes. But it really was good to see them out there. Tell us about some of the new guards at Croatia. Tell us how Guardiola looked. I, I, that was a really well taken goal. We've spoken a lot about about his defending uh, all tournament long, and, and that's piqued interest up and up, all over Europe. Um, but then the the, the header, I, I, it was well worked from Croatia. He, he he stays up and he throws himself Van Persie-esque at, at, at this one, and it, it really was a, a, a very well taken goal. I, I can't emphasize that enough. You know. Um, and it kind of was a statement end to a brilliant tournament for him. When in the semi-final, the last we remember really of Guardiola is being turned inside out by Messi. Let's be honest, he's not the first and I'm sure won't be the last to suffer that fate. So it was good to see him, given his tournament... Good to see him finish on this relative height. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be too ashamed of that. That was vintage Messi in that moment. But this player has been linked with Real Madrid. He's been linked with Chelsea. It's Real Madrid, though, that I want to talk about. Mm. Obviously, he's looked great in this tournament, but why are they going to get another centre-back in? And a left side, a centre-back. And so you, you think about who is the player that he would be backing up, and that would be David Alaba, who has been outstanding for Real Madrid. And I don't think at this point in his career you want to put him out on the, on, as a left back, which perhaps would be a solution to the extra numbers that you have Guardiola as the center back, and then you have Alaba as the center back. But one of the things that has been so critical for the success of Real Madrid in that center back pairing is that Alaba kind of gives the organization, gives the leadership, and Militao gives the athleticism and the physicality. And they have a very good understanding together. And behind them is Antonio Rudiger. So in terms of needs, needs, it, and which is a difference from wants, for the needs of Real Madrid, I don't think that they need another center back. And I don't know that right now is the moment to go and spend all this money that Vardiol, given how hot he was in the World Cup, how his price has gone up, I don't know that this is when you go chasing this one down if you're Real Madrid. You say all this money. There are reports that Chelsea had a 90 million offer rejected by Leipzig. So this is looking at upwards of 100 million at least, Stevie. 
I, I, I would pay upwards of 100 million for him. Um, look, you, you kind of have to look at the Van Dyke situation. Van Dyke was 80 million, and you're getting the finished product. You're getting the guy who you know is going to step in tomorrow and just be the complete and utter leader. So if you're going to spend over 100 million on Guardiola and you don't actually need him, then you can't do it. You can't do it. I mean, I understand that you always... The best teams are always looking to get better. But that just seems a little too much, over a hundred million. Because that's probably what it's going to take. It shouldn't. I don't believe he's worth that. Yes, he's a great defender. Um, but no, not a hundred plus. And Real Madrid don't need him. Too much. And I think five minutes might have been too much for the cameo from Shaka Hislop mm. tonight. So we're going to let him go what? and get some rest. It's been a very long day for him. That's it. It has. <laughs> Apparently. Yes, and it has. And yes, it has. He deserves some rest. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Shekhar. Oh. You can see how Real Madrid's defence are looking over the new year because La Liga is back on the calendar. Every single game available on ESPN+. Plus. Be sure to always catch it with us. Before that, though, we have a slate of Copa del Rey games coming up starting on Tuesday all the way through Thursday. All of these games available on ESPN+. Make sure to check out the ones that interest you. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Been a dramatic situation and scenes in the A-Leagues. Uh, fans are actually angered after the leagues have sold rights to host its grand finals to the New South Wales government with Sydney hosting showpiece events for the men and the women's games for the next three years. It was an eight-figure deal. Why is this a problem? Well, tradition it has said that it's always been that the title deciders play at home when it comes to this. Whoever finished highest in the league gets to play that title deciding game at home. Anyway, it's caused outrage. Fans have been vocal about their displeasure. It raises the prospect of two teams from outside of Sydney contesting a final at a Sydney stadium. It would mean potentially fans are left behind because it was their team, not from Sydney, that would be playing in this final. They're called the league greedy. Aussies will be facing the fact that they're having to take on record uh, airfares right now because of the way that things are looking, the accommodation costs. It also seems that these tensions have been spilling over. Obviously, the fans are angry. And what we saw in the Melbourne Derby was pretty shocking, to say the least. Both sets of fans had been throwing flares, but the situation got worse as one hit a cameraman. City goalkeeper Tom Glover picked one up off the ground, threw it back into the stand. This happened twice. Anyway, that's where victory support was. They ended up invading the pitch. You know, I get I, the goalkeeper shouldn't be throwing that back in the stand, that's for sure. But I do get the feeling that this was going to happen anyway. You know, you've got a bunch a bunch of supporters who, in my opinion, even before the ball was kicked, oh were hell-bent on causing trouble. And, yes, what happened to start it shouldn't have happened. But you know what? I, I think it was a matter of time before something kicked them off and gave them an excuse to get on the field and do what they did. So he got hit in the face, as you just saw there, by a metal bucket. The, the referee was also injured. Play was suspended and then later... The game was called off completely. And I'm not excusing the behavior from the goalkeeper and throwing a flare back into the stands. I'm not, certainly not excusing the behavior of the fans who were the ones that were throwing the flares onto the field to begin with. But I would ask the question, if there have been tensions <laughs> all around this league because of this decision that you just uh, mentioned there, Kay, and you knew that this was bubbling and you knew that this was simmering, where, oh, where is the security? 
Where are the precautions that you take as a league or as a club or as whatever to make sure that you are on high alert, knowing full well that there is a trend and a movement and a tendency for this to blow up at some point. You have to jump ahead of the curve. You have to jump ahead of this and make sure that you have enough police presence, enough security presence to discourage this behavior. But when you see that the only sense of security that you get in this particular incident is one guy in a vest going like this trying to protect the goalkeeper uh yeah i'm gonna tell you that's not enough that's not enough people only come onto the field because they know that they can do it that they have access they're not afraid of what the consequences are going to be they're not afraid of the security there they're saying you know what we're free to go let's go this guy's over here this, this, whoever the security people are here with the vest, they're not going to do anything with, to, to stop us because they don't have the resources to stop you. So for me, it's an oversight. It's an oversight by the club. It's an oversight by the league. It's not understanding what the controversy is and how to address it properly before it gets to this point. Yeah, obviously awful scenes to see. Very upsetting to see them too. There'll no doubt be a lot more talk about it on the latest Gab and Jules podcast. Be sure to download that wherever you do get your podcasts. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Well, that's all we've got time for on the show here, except we're going to stick around to answer your questions and your tweets that you've been sending in on Extra Time. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome to Extra Time, presented by Globant. Ali Moreno, Stevie mm. Nichol and Kay Murray, just the three of us for this mm. one today. Oh, nice and cosy, yeah. Cool as you like, cosy. Michael Matthews sending in the first question. It says, Stevie, should Liverpool consider a short-term deal to sign Depay from Barcelona to cover Diaz and Jota injuries as he can play on the left and centre and only has six months remaining on his contract? Yeah, I mean, why not? Guy's got ability. Um, if Barcelona considering the situation they're in financially um, maybe it could work it certainly would be look if Liverpool had Depay on the bench to come on that wouldn't be a bad thing considering how difficult these things seem to always be to work out it probably seems unlikely but as far as being a good idea absolutely would that be attractive uh, I suppose it would be for Depay, but he better be willing to press and to run around and defend high energy, which isn't always his strength. Uh, but there would have to be a change in the mindset and what the expectations would be for him as a player. And while he can play down the middle, I don't think that's where he's most comfortable. He likes to come from the left-hand side. And if he's going to do that, he better be willing to do some running. All right, speaking of Depay's pressing, there's a stat. We had this in the ah. full show, fewest interventions in the defending third. He's behind Akram Afif of yeah, Qatar. Yeah, yeah. Gets a shout-out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go this on, Akram. Mbappe top in the list, and then Ronaldo and Messi behind Depay. Uh, Depay a little bit younger, <laughs> it has to be said as well, than Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. <laughs> Okay. So, so, so not a good idea then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you guys want. Stats don't, stats don't back up. 
It's amazing. Are you going to back it up now to actually now? It's amazing what a large kick up the backside can do to some mm. players. Mm. Ali was talking earlier on about it's amazing how when players' contracts are coming to an end, mm. all of a sudden they get a burst of energy. What a So silly. maybe Mr Depay <laughs> will get a burst of energy. Maybe he will. Okay, to all, in paying tribute to Mihailovic, where would you rank him in terms of free kick takers? Is he in the same class as Pirlo, Juninho, Beckham and Messi? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. He, he was the generation after me, so as I'm finishing, he's getting into it. And of course, in the 90s in particular, we started getting a lot of Italian football, because that's where the money was then, and all the players were going there. And so that was the first time I remember seeing Mihailovic's free kicks. You know, he would, as, as a player, he was a good player, but as a, as a free kick taker, he was as good as any of those names. You know, he could... He could smash it through a gap with power. He could bend it up and over the wall under the crossbar. He could whip it in the, round the outside. I mean, this guy scored every sort of free kick that you can imagine uh, on a regular basis. Not, not, not hitting the wall ten times and then the next time we went in. Who are you talking about? This guy was dynamite. Who does that? The uh, hitter in the wall all the time. A certain uh, Christian. Oh. What's his second name again? <laughs> Who's that? Not Denise Mihailovic. Anyway, to be, hold on a minute. Hold on. Let's, let's be honest. To be fair to Ronaldo, uh-huh. it was the the latter years of his career where he was hitting the wall a lot. He did. He did score a few from the feet. Come well, on. Let's, let's be honest. I, I just asked let's you a not, question. Let's not. You know, the guy could take a free kick, but just unfortunately, he kind of ran out of juice a little bit towards the end. Ale, where was this attacking football from Croatia in the Argentina game? Um, well, I don't know that they did something different today than what they did against Argentina. It's just they're playing against a team that is not as strong as Argentina in Morocco. But they still today show some of their deficiencies. Uh, once they get into the attacking half, into the final third, while it was a great goal from Orsic, a lot of the plays were breaking down once they got up until that point. It's just, for them, they just don't quite have the same talent level in the final third than they do than they do in the middle third. So when you think of Brozovic and you think of Kovacic and, of course, Luka Modric, and then you project forward and now you're depending on Kramaric and Pekovic and, and this these are guys that are serviceable players but they're certainly not elite talent and so the attacking football for Croatia I don't think it's so much uh, dependent upon what who they play it's just that's who, the players that they are they, they, they they're limited in that in that part of the field they, they play the same way regardless of yeah. the position and they think that if we're at our best, we're a match for anybody. And sometimes they're not at their best. But they're, you know, they're not a, they're not a side. You know, we were talking in the show about, you know, our Argentina going to play three at the back, they're going to play four at the back. But Croatia don't do that. They know exactly. Every single person in that squad, those players, the coaches, they know exactly what they're trying to do. And regardless of the opposition, that's what they try and do. It just so happens as well that they came up against the vintage Messi on that day, which yeah. also doesn't help. Yep. Yeah, on, on many levels, Croatia's performance against Argentina, you have to remember that for the first 20 minutes or so, it was very much all Croatia all the time, and Argentina were having difficulties getting a hold of the ball, and the penalty happened, and that sort of changed the game itself. And then after that, Croatia seemed to gather some more momentum, and then that goal from Julian Alvarez, the touch and tackle, touch and tackle happens again. After that, it was very difficult for them to come back. But it wasn't like they were completely and totally outplayed by Argentina. They were outplayed in moments, and certainly the third goal is the best example of that in the genius of Lionel Messi. Both of Manchester United's first-choice centre-backs have made the final of the World Cup. What does Stevie make of this development, and does he think that United finally have a solid defence to build their team on? Well, I don't think it's a surprise that Varane has done what he's done. You know what you're getting? You buy a a world-class defender, and and that's what he does. Um, 
you know, regardless of what you think of, of his, his partner beside him, generally at United and, and Martinez, um, they're a good combination. Did you just say something nice about Martinez? No, I mean, him and Varane get on well, yeah. <laughs> no. You, no, no, no. If you okay. only start asking a different question of where's the deficiency, <laughs> then that's a different answer. No, no. But as a partnership, they've actually done well. There was there, there was nothing nice about that because in between the lines there, he said, whatever you may think painful. of his partner. <laughs> that was painful. <laughs> whatever you may that think of Varane's partner. <laughs> I, was, I thought I was being nice there. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Stevie, that oh, pretty yeah, much was right, him being yeah. nice, no, right? Listen, very positive, very positive. As I said, as, as individuals, now after as individuals there are different answers. As a partnership, they've done well. All right, we'll take that, we'll take it. <laughs> well, well, let me give you an example, right? John Stones and Harry Maguire were great together in, uh, for England. Made very few mistakes and were a good, solid partnership, right? Yeah. Now, if you want to start talking about them individually, then that's a different conversation. Right. So he had to bring up Ronaldo. Now he's had to bring up England. Mm. Let's I'm just trying to deflect. <laughs> <laughs> Don't your, shield up. Who's your X Factor for either France or Argentina tomorrow? Mm. Uh, who's your X Factor? <laughs> oh. well, the, the, you have the obvious ones, right? But let's go... But even Hernan Crespo said it might not be the obvious one in the final. Well, he's taking a right chance, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we ignore the obvious ones, okay. Messi... Because they're the triple X factor. Yeah, Messi, Mbappe, Griezmann. I'm thinking if you're Argentina, you have to be very mindful of what happens on, on the opposite side with Usman and Dembele. Because as inconsistent as he has been and continues to be, on a good day... He can really take advantage of whoever is on that left-hand side for Argentina defensively. So Dembele on 1v1 situations, if you're paying attention to everybody on, over here and don't pay attention to that guy, he may just take advantage of it. So I'm, he could be a difference maker just because we are thinking of everybody else and not paying enough attention to Dembele. You probably see that France have got more... If you, if you take Messi and, and, and Mbappé out, you probably say that France have got more X-factor guys that maybe would score a goal than Argentina. I think that would be the best answer to that. Okay. What kind of dog does Stevie have? Because it's so <laughs> famous now. Haggis. <laughs> Haggis is a Newfoundland. Oh. Uh, oh, oh, wait, wait. Oh, he's coming, oh, he's, he's coming, yeah. just wait for it, he's wait for it. Listen, you just, you just wait, this is great camera work by you, Stevie. Stevie sent this yeah, to Dan, and after Kane missed the penalty against France. <laughs> yeah, I was, <clears throat> for those that didn't see it, I mean, what happened was when Harry Kane missed the penalty. He decided I, to try and upset a huge yes. England fan in Dan yes. Thomas. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a video of Haggis getting two treats because Harry Kane kicked it over the crossbar. Right, unfortunately, it all makes sense. Unfortunately, my videoing skills, as you see, were rather off on that particular occasion. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. On that particular occasion? Yeah, because normally I'm pretty good. Oh, all right. Well, That's anyway. what happens when you kick a man while he's down. Yeah, karma, I guess, I guess. But anyway, tell us more about Haggis. Well, Haggis got his two... He's two treats anyway. And a lot more when the final whistle went. How old is he? What's his character like? Oh, I'll tell you what, he's one year old. He's, he's, he's a year. And the thing that people don't realise about Newfies is they have like a... They're called a Newfisaurus. <laughs> In the Newfie world, people call them a Newfisaurus or a Raptosaurus. In the Newfie like, Well, because when you take them a walk, they'll jump at you. Now, when you've got a dog that's 130 pounds, takes a run and jumps at you, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a challenge. Let's just say that when we go a walk, Eleanor, I take the lead and Eleanor, Eleanor prefers that I take the lead. Because up until about 18 months, that's what they do. And then they calm down and they stop doing all that stuff. Did, did you they're, just... very mouth, they're very mouthy as well. So when they're excited to see you, they like try to eat your hand or your arm or anything that gets in the road. You know, people see them and they see this big, this big, cuddly, soft Newfie. thing that just lies around and does nothing. Well, they don't. They're very active. Never leave you alone. They're always back. Regardless of where you are, and I mean where you are, they're beside you. Aww. 
Right. So, and you described him as a raptosaurus. What is a raptosaurus? Or were you thinking Velociraptor well, you know, well, or you know, when you, when you look, Well, when you look at all the, the, the sauruses. Okay. Right? <laughs> I don't know that there is a raptor. Well, you see them, they go on their back legs and the two arms are like that. That's, you know when you see the kids' that's toys? A, that's a Tyrannosaurus. Okay, a Tyrannosaurus, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so when you see a Tyrannosaurus Rex, right, and it's yeah. up on its back legs, yes. it's got two on the ground and two like that. Yeah, and it's more like Well, that's what he does, and he jumps at you, and that's what other people's dogs do, like Newfies. Newfies. But they, they grow out of it. In the Newfie world. In the Newfie world. In the Newfie world. Okay. They well, grow out of yeah. it. I can assure you. When there was a 130-pound dog jumping at you, you, you know all about it. So that is an insight to the Newfie world yeah. and Haggis. And the Saurus knowledge. He's a good boy. It's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's a Toronto fan, all right? <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for the latest edition of Extra Time. Thank That's you it. so much for sending your questions and thanks for telling us about the Newfie world. No problem. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 